0: Welcome to the Mulcahy Law Firm Podcast. For over 25 years, Mulcahy Law Firm has helped plan communities and condominium associations throughout the state of Arizona. The intent of our Zoom, Facebook Live, First Friday free call in, videos, and podcasts is to provide a forum for board members and community managers to receive answers to HOA and condo legal questions. Please note, the content of these sessions are general in nature and is not intended to and should not be relied upon or construed as legal opinion or legal advice regarding any specific issue or factual circumstance. You should directly consult with an attorney for advice regarding your individual situation. Welcome to the podcast. Here's Beth Mulcahy. Happy early Thanksgiving and welcome to class number 11 of our 2022 virtual HOA condo academy in partnership with the cities of Avondale, Chandler, Glendale, Goodyear, Mesa, Peoria, Phoenix, Scottsdale Surprise, and Tempe. My name is Beth Mulcahy, and I am the managing partner and senior attorney for the Mulcahy Law Firm in Phoenix, Arizona. I've enjoyed representing HOAs and condominiums for over 26 years, and my firm currently represents over a thousand planned communities and condominium associations throughout the state of Arizona. I also currently serve on my HOA board and have for many years. Before we dive into the meat of the seminar, I'd like to start off by getting a feel for who's in our attendance today so that I can tailor the information to best serve all of you. Okay, so we're going to be launching two polls right now. The first poll is which city do you reside? Why this is important is because we partner with different cities throughout the Valley and they like to know who's attending from their cities. So if you wouldn't mind answering the first poll question, which is, in which city do you reside? Then the second poll question that we have is, let us know your current role with your community. Are you a board member? Are you a community manager? Are you an interested homeowner? Or are you somebody else who just has an interest in our industry? And if you're joining us, just so you know, on Facebook Live this morning, you can just place right in the comment section which city you live in and what your role is in the community. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about our agenda and then we're going to go back to our poll results this morning. Today we're going to be talking about how to have a successful association. And I think I've seen it happen. I've also seen a lot of dysfunctional associations over the years. But what I can say is that there's no secret sauce that I can give you that gives you the recipe for how to have a successful association. It's really a combination of a number of different things. And sometimes different things work for different associations. So we're gonna to try to give you some tools this morning on how your association um, can strive to be successful, highly functioning and eliminate the dysfunction and negativity that might be in your association right now. In doing this, we're gonna go over what are some of the best practices that I see that contribute to the success of a community association. We're also gonna discuss how boards can successfully amend their association documents with our five-step plan. Part of that discussion on amendment of CCNRs and and bylaws and rules, we're also gonna be talking about two cases that were decided this year, one by the Arizona Supreme Court and another one by the Arizona Court of Appeals that are giving us further direction as to how we should structure our amendments and the different responsibilities that we have as we're navigating the amendment sections and getting the votes of the members to amend these documents. We're also going to talk a little bit, very quick overview of the new HOA and condo laws that were signed into law during the 2022 Arizona legislative session. And these laws are already in effect as of September 25th. So these are already the law, but we want to just make sure that everybody's aware that there have been some changes. There's five new laws. We're going to spend just a little bit of time on that. And then lastly, as always, your favorite thing, what I hear from our readers and our people that are attending on Zoom and Facebook Live is the free question and answer. We'll have a free question and answer at the end of the class, and I encourage you to submit your questions via the chat box on Zoom or the comment section on Facebook Live. If you wouldn't mind, we'd appreciate it if you limit yourself to one question per person and try to be as specific as possible as there's gonna be no follow-up once your question has been submitted. Okay, let's take a little look at who's here today. Okay, I honestly, I don't think this has ever happened. Oh, wait, we have one city that we don't have anybody here from. Um, Okay, so we have representation today, 9% from Chandler, 3% from Glendale, 6% from Goodyear, 6% from Mesa. 12% 12% from Peoria, 24% from Phoenix. Wowza. 29% from Scottsdale. Great job, Scottsdale. 9% from Surprise and 3% from Tempe. So there's just only one particular city today that we didn't hear from, but we heard from one that we don't normally um, see from. I, You know what? I clicked out of the thing by mistake before I, I wrote down what the different... So there we go. It's back. The different people who are in attendance today, gotta love live broadcast. <laughs> so on um, today we have 74% of you are board members that's great. 9% are managers. Welcome. Thanks for being here today. And 15% are interested homeowners and 3% are other. So this is really a great class for board members. So I'm so happy to see such a great representation today from board members and managers and of course homeowners too. Because these topics all directly impact how to have a successful association and how to effectively amend your CCNRs. Okay, so let's start out quickly with a quick legislative update. As I said in the introduction, your legislature closed back in June and we, the new legislation, we have five new bills that just went into effect on September 24th, I believe. And so basically, some the bottom line on the legislature this year is it was one of the longest legislative sessions we've had in Arizona history, it lasted 167 days. Arizona has a legislature that is not 12 months of the year, so that is a very long legislative session for Arizona. It also was one of the most active sessions that we've seen over the past years because we had 25 bills that were introduced in this year's legislature, 2022 legislature regarding association use. And that's a really high number. And maybe in prior years, we've seen like 10 or 12. But I think it's indicative of the fact that we've had two back-to-back COVID years in terms of the legislative sessions that they have been really focused on COVID issues and they haven't had a lot of time to come back to the association issues. Ultimately, there were five bills out of those 25 that were introduced that the governor has signed into law. We have a great summary on these new bills if you wanna have a deep dive on this topic. Basically, it's our cheat sheets that we put out on everything. We did one for the 2022 Arizona legislation, and we're gonna be sharing that with you now on Zoom and Facebook Live if we haven't already. Okay, so what are the five bills? I want you to do a deep dive and look at the cheat sheet just because we're limited on time today. But just very briefly, the first bill is House Bill 2131. This applies only to planned communities. And the bottom line on this bill is that associations cannot ban or prohibit artificial grass in any areas where an owner owns or it's their property and where they may already have regular turf or regular grass. The association can pass rules Regarding the maintenance of it and the quality and the installation, they'll still have to go through the whole architectural process. But in planned communities, we cannot ban artificial grass anymore. Okay, House Bill 2158. This was a sign of the times bill where we were talking about community activities, informal meetings by members to discuss association issues. So I, mean, I think it was already pretty obvious that in a condo and a planned community, that owners have a right to use the common areas, um, but the legislature thought it was necessary to put into the law that owners have a right to um, informally meet on common areas to discuss association issues. The association can pass rules regarding those meetings, and that might be like a number of people that can be present, like they're having it at the pool, they can't exceed the maximum number of people. If the owners want to publicize the informal meeting that they're having, they can require under the law that the association notify the owners by putting it out on a bullet board or maybe sending out an email or putting it on the association's website. The law specifically says that the association is required to do that. Let's see what else on this bill. I haven't, I thought for sure that I would see this kind of over the past month and a half, I thought for sure I'd start to see questions on this or maybe even owners starting to exercise their rights to do this. I have not seen that yet. And so we'll just have to stay tuned and see what happens on that in the next year. But just know that owners do have a right to peacefully assemble is the language that the statute used. Also, an interesting part of this House Bill 2158, and mind you, this bill on informally meeting, uh, peacefully assembling, and political signs, which is the next part of it. This applies to both condominiums and plant communities. Okay, the second part of this bill says that owners can put political signs on their property for association-based issues, board elections, recall meetings of the board, special assessment votes. Anytime there's going to be a meeting of the members to vote on an issue, Once that ballot goes out, those political signs for the association issue can be put up on the owner's property. They have to be removed um, within a very short time period after the meeting where this vote is gonna be taken. Um, The next bill uh, applies to both condominiums and planned communities. And it says that first responder flags are an allowable flag under state law and associations cannot prohibit the display of those flags on that member's property. House Bill 2275 talks about condominium termination, and it makes a more stringent requirement to terminate condominiums. Of course, that's only going to apply to condominiums. And then, last but not least, Senate Bill 1168 talks about short-term rentals and gives cities and towns some additional enforcement teeth for short-term rentals that may be violating nuisance provisions or that might be causing problems in their cities or towns. It sets up a permitting process. It requires insurance for the short-term rental. It requires that the short-term rental owner would need to notify uh, the neighbors the first time that they're converting it to a short-term rental, that it's becoming a short-term rental. The interesting part of of this law is that um, it gives cities and towns the right to do this. It doesn't make it mandatory. So cities and towns are going to need to adopt an ordinance to adopt whatever parts of these rights that the legislature is giving them that they want to adopt for their particular city or town. We've already seen some cities. I know Chandler already has some of these restrictions in place. I know that the city of Scottsdale is discussing this right now um, with their city council. And many other cities and towns are now looking into passing ordinances to um, take advantage of what rights the legislature has given them to uh, further regulate short-term rentals. Okay, let's dive into our first topic for today. And this is a, a fun topic for me to teach because it talks about successful associations. Probably one of the most rewarding things that I see as an attorney that practices in this area is that I am able to witness dysfunctional associations become highly functional. And I actually have one in mind that was an interesting story. Gosh, I don't know, maybe three years ago, two or three years ago, I was called into a large master plan community to become their new general counsel attorney. And when I first came to the first meeting, um, it was very dysfunctional. And they had all kinds of legal issues. There were lawsuits that I was not a part of at that point, just because I was just being hired. But they were involved in a lot of litigation. They were fighting among themselves. The owners were unhappy. And last year, I had an opportunity at the end of the year, at the end of 2021, to go to their annual meeting. And of course, we've been working with them carefully for a couple of years and i have to tell you that i was sitting there and i thought to myself this is the best annual meeting i have ever been to and it just was so rewarding to see the transition from a very high level of dysfunction where they were being sued there were some issues other issues regarding some mistakes that were made and they owed some money to different state federal taxes, and there were just all kinds of problems. People didn't get along, the board wasn't gelling and working together as a team. And so it was just nice to see that transition. And as I was preparing for this class today, I was just doing a little check in my mind about a lot of these qualities, is the quality that this particular association has. But um, I want you to know that we work with over a thousand associations throughout the state of Arizona. I would say that probably 75 to 80% of them have many of these qualities of a successful association. But there are some that are still in transition and have some areas for improvement. And so these are some constructive ideas on how associations can function at a very high level. And number one on the secrets that we give about being a successful association is outstanding communication. The associations that communicate the most, guess what? They have the fewest amount of problems. The associations that try to hide things and that try to refuse to give members records and have meetings that violate the open meeting law to discuss things and vote on things outside of the memberships year. And the associations that are just being sneaky and not keeping their owners informed about what's going on in their communities those are the ones that have problems. The associations that have good communication are the ones that give members an opportunity. First, they follow the open meeting law, right? That's kind of numeral, oh no. They understand the importance and the value of open meetings and they're following what the law requires them to do. So just a quick primer on the open meeting law is that all condominiums and planned communities throughout the state of Arizona must conduct open board meetings. And those open board meetings must be anytime a quorum of the board is meeting to discuss an association issue. Even if no vote is being taken, this is considered an open meeting and the membership needs to be notified of the meeting at least 48 hours in advance of the meeting. And there are times where the board can go into what we call executive session, And the most common topics that we go into executive session are going to be advice from your attorney, delinquencies, owners not paying assessments or fines and violations, owners not following the documents. We also go in and talk about compensation and performance of vendors frequently. Those are the most common things. Before you would ever go into an executive session, you want to follow the law and notify your owners that you are going into executive session, I would put that right on the meeting notice. We will be going into executive session immediately following the open board meeting to discuss delinquencies, violations, and pending litigation advice from our attorney, whatever the topics are that you'll be discussing that day. So part of outstanding communication is making sure that the owners know that you are not having secret meetings and even when you're having executive session meetings, you're still providing the 48 hours notice that you're required to the membership, even though they can't be there. So one first element of having outstanding communication, follow the open meeting law. Know what your responsibilities are under the open meeting law. Make sure that you have that agenda handy that's required under the law for any time you're having an open board meeting so that owners can follow along with what the boards can be discussing topic by topic. Um, another really good idea for good communication that with your owners is at the open board meeting, give members an opportunity to speak or ask questions for a set period of time. Usually this is done during the open forum. It gives owners an opportunity to vent if they're unhappy about something or to provide feedback on important topics that may pertain to your association. Another important thing we talked about is just making sure that you are sending out notice of your board meetings at least 48 hours in advance of the meeting. That can be done by conspicuous posting at the property. It can be done by putting it on a bulletin board. It can be done by sending an email out to your members. It can be done by placing it on the association's website. All of these are great tools to communicate with your owners so that they know there is a board meeting and If they choose to attend, they have the opportunity to attend. Obviously, the pandemic has been a game changer, and that has enabled us to have more people attend board meetings and annual meetings via Zoom. So giving them that opportunity to attend virtually, I think, is important to have a successful association. Some associations, in fact, have converted entirely to having virtual meetings, and the owners are requesting that and like it, and the board likes it. Some other things that we think are really important is having a website for your association where you have a lot of information about your association at the members fingertips. So to be successful is to be transparent and having the meeting minutes, having the notice of the meetings in one place, having all the forms that your association members may need for architectural changes or a comment form for them to give feedback to the association. Having prior approved meeting minutes on your website. So if somebody wants to get up to speed as to what the association's been doing over the past few years, they can go through and read all of the regular open board meeting minutes. Um, having the financials on the website are also a great tool so that people can see real time what the financial situation is at the association. Now, mind you, a lot of these areas on the website are probably going to be password protected so that just the general public can't get in and see all this information regarding your association. Another great idea to have good communication with your owners is have town hall meetings where members can submit questions for the board and then the board has an informal Q&A to answer questions. I especially suggest that if your association is having unrest on certain issues, if you're hearing that there's a removal petition circulating in your community, that would be a really good time to have a town hall so that you can clear up any problems or questions. If you're thinking about doing a big initiative in your community, like amending your CCRs or having a special assessment or maybe a large capital improvement project um, where we're going to be doing upgrades or required maintenance at the association, having a town hall meeting to discuss how things are, the need for something and how a plan is for certain things is really beneficial. And you can put that on Zoom, record it. And then even if people can't join live, they can watch it after the fact. And you can just put that Zoom recording right on your website. Another important thing that I think a lot of associations that are successful get, but some that maybe are struggling a little bit don't understand the importance of this. And this is Having some sort of social event or events in your association to bring together the association. I know in a neighborhood that I used to live in we used to have a really fun um, Halloween party every year and um, the adults and the kids really got into it. Recently, I became aware of another association that they had a decorating contest for the homes to see who had the scariest house, best themed house for, for Halloween. And these all can carry into the upcoming holidays that we have in November and December, you could think about having an October fest party or um, a summer cookout, or an Easter egg hunt if, if that's something that your association wants to do. These type of things help to have the community members interact in an informal way and build community. And one of the things that I can say is different about Arizona. I grew up in Wisconsin, and we knew our neighbors. We knew all of our neighbors. Sometimes that was a good thing. Sometimes that was a bad thing. (laughs) If we are doing something naughty growing up, the neighbors would tell our parents. But in Arizona, it seems more isolated and the neighbors probably because it's a little bit more transient and we sometimes our neighborhoods don't have full time residents that are there all the time. So it's even more important in Arizona to plan something like a block party or a holiday party where we're coffee and donuts in the park, where are at yappy hour for your dogs where members can come together and meet each other and start to build that community because that's a pillar of having a successful association. The next thing that's really important is for the board to communicate well by responding to member inquiries. And so one of the things that I hear often, I attend a lot of board meetings. And we'll hear, we'll be sitting in the back counting ballots in an annual meeting and a very frequent comment that we hear is owners say to the board, I never got a response from the management company, or I emailed five times to say that the front light on the monument sign at the entrance to our community was out and no one responded and it's still not fixed. And so it's really important, even though we're not being paid as a board member, that we are. Responding when owners are upset about something, and it it may not directly be the board members, it may be the manager, but setting up expectations as a board and expectations for your management company if you have one in terms of responding to owners in a timely manner and how important that is because it provides assurances to the owners that they're being heard and they may be telling us important information that we need to hear about. If the lighting's out, or the sprinkler's broken, or the elevator is making a strange noise. This is all important feedback, and it's important that we respond to them and acknowledge that we appreciate them reaching out to us. Thank you for letting us know, and we'll take care of it. So, responding to member inquiries in a timely fashion is very important. Set up expectations with the management company. As a board, tell the management company we expect that you will respond to owners in this timeframe. And then make sure that if you're hearing feedback from somebody in the community that they're not getting a timely response, that you follow up with the manager to find out what's going on and how we can improve on that going forward. Making sure that owners know how to contact the association Um, and maybe it's the board or maybe it's the management company, a great place to have that is right on the website. Some associations have social media accounts like Facebook or Instagram, where members can, you know, see information about the association on that as well. Another thing that's kind of, it's like a double-edged sword, surveys. Surveys are good because it gives us feedback as to how people are feeling about the association, but they sometimes are bad in that sometimes we get negative feedback that the board maybe isn't meeting the homeowner's expectations. But I would encourage you to conduct a member survey of your community at least once every other year, just to ask them different questions that may be pertinent for your association. A real hot topic right now is pickleball, right? And we're getting a lot of questions about building pickleball courts or converting tennis courts to pickleball. We've seen a number of associations have surveys regarding that particular topic or other issues that may come up in your association. Okay, uh, some other things that you can do is, if you have the need in your community, have advisory committees. Some associations have a landscaping committee. Some of them have a welcoming committee. Some of them have a planning the block party committee. Setting up these committees to take some of the burden off of the associations board is a great idea. Um, Have a newsletter, and that could be done by email. If you don't have a formal newsletter, just regularly send out communications to your members regarding what's happening at your association and providing them with information regarding your association. A few other things that you could do are comment cards where annually, if you're not doing a survey where people can, you know, make comments via the website. Also create a welcome to the neighborhood committee is a nice thing for new neighbors that are moving in, even new renters that are moving in, maybe giving them a copy of the rules and the association documents oftentimes the landlord doesn't provide that information. So we wanna set the the tenant up for success by giving them information about the association and maybe like a nice loaf of bread or something thoughtful, cookies, welcoming them to the community. Okay, another really important thing. So the first thing is communication. I mean, I cannot underestimate the value of having good communication. If you do all of these things that we've talked about on communication, your owners are going to be in the loop and they're not going to be agitated and upset because they feel that they're not being informed about association issues. Okay, the next thing that's really important, the next pillar is having strong leadership. It's having a a team where you have strong leadership is really important. And it starts right at the top with the association's president and the board. So first, you have to work together as a team on your board. All the responsibilities cannot fall on one or two people, and that is what happens in many associations. Making sure that you're rounding out the responsibilities and everybody's stepping up to help in different ways. If anybody on the board is feeling like they're managing too much, asking for help and being able to delegate is a very important quality for board members. Otherwise, you're going to get burned out and be upset and crabby. Also, being honest, having integrity, and again, transparent with your owners. In order to lead, you have to gain the trust of your community. And the best way to get that trust is by being honest when things don't go right and apologizing. Having integrity, always doing the right thing. Reaching out to your trusted advisors when you have questions that are difficult or problems in your association, or maybe the association's made a mistake, and your trusted advisors are going to be your legal counsel, your management company, your insurance company representative. Knowing when to get help is a really important skill. And last but not least, transparency. Again, making sure that you're not trying to hide anything from your owners. Remember, they are entitled to see books and records of the association. they make a records request, they are allowed to see basically everything in your community's documents. There's a few things that are exceptions they can't see. If you're involved in litigation, they can't see anything pertaining to the litigation. Legal opinions are the most common things that they're not allowed to see, but basically almost everything else they are allowed to see. Okay, If you are having problems in your community with your board members not behaving properly, Having the board adopt a code of conduct is a great idea. We have a sample cheat sheet that we have on our website, and we're going to be sharing it with you on this presentation, too. She talks about the different responsibilities that a board member has, and it's a reminder to the board members to follow their fiduciary responsibilities and um, their duty of care, their duty to avoid conflicts of interest, and their duty of confidentiality. it's just a great tool when board members need a reminder as to what their responsibilities are. And you only need a majority of the board to adopt the code of conduct for it to become valid and binding for your board. Okay, a couple more thoughts on how to have a successful association. You have to have commitment to the association and determination if you're serving on the board. I can tell you firsthand that I've served on and off of my board for more than 14 years now. And there have been times where I wanted to quit. No question about it. This is a thankless job. And I already have a lot of responsibilities in my life. And serving on the board is just an added one. But it's also important to me that things look nice in our community and that things are running efficiently and like a business. And so I'm committed to staying on our board because I made a commitment to do that. And I'm also determined to get things done. I am not gonna get sidetracked with nonsense. I really like to have our board have goals and to have efficient meetings. I really don't like it when we walk into a meeting and we accomplish nothing. And so I think we have to set the standard if we are serving on the board that, hey, this is a business. I'm on this because I want our community to be better. I'm not on this for a bunch of hassles and nonsense. I want the meetings to be run professionally, and I want to actually accomplish things this year. And there will be times where you have homeowners who like to have a little sideshow where they're interrupting everything. You have to have what I call board member blinders, and you have to listen to them, of course. But at a certain point, if it becomes a broken record and... There's nothing that we can do to appease that person. We just have to move forward and there has to be a blinders on and don't look in the rearview mirror and move forward. And so reaching out to your trusted advisors, if you're in one of those situations where you have a board that wants to quit, they're burned out or you have an owner or owners who are driving the board nuts or driving management company nuts, that's a really good time to reach out to our firm, We see situations like that, unfortunately, frequently, and typically we'll come in and have a boot camp with the board and try to turn things around, try to get things moving in the right direction. So really important criteria for serving on the board and for your community is being committed to your community and being determined to overcome obstacles and get things done when you're serving on the board. I think those are probably the most important things that I feel are necessary to have a successful community. Of course, there are other things which are kind of more legal, but making sure that your association is financially sound and having a reserve study done for your community and making sure that reserve study is updated about every five years, adequately funding your reserves, filing your state and federal taxes. Working effectively with your management company and being able to delegate things to them and having the management company get those things done, having your management company oversee other vendors in your community. There's so many responsibilities of serving on a board. It really is a lot of different hats. You've got to be a good communicator. You have to be a great leader. You have to oversee all of your vendors and you have to make sure that the common areas are being maintained, you have to make sure that you have adequate assurance, you want to be thinking forward about the future five-year plan, 10-year plan. It's not an easy job, but the underlying things that you really need to keep in mind is if you want to have a hassle-free time on your board, you really do need to have that good communication and you need to have strong leadership with your board working together as a team to make things happen and to handle difficult problems. Okay, so I hope that was a good overview on how to be a successful association. I hate to ever leave anything out, so we only have limited time here today, but just in closing, make sure you're looking at our cheat sheets and our videos on our website. We have so many free resources for board members, managers, and owners on our website at MulcahyLawFirm.com. Really, any topic that your association may be having difficulty with, I pretty much guarantee that there's going to be a blog article, a short video, or a cheat sheet to help you navigate and get just the baseline information that you may need to help you. And the great thing about it is it's all available 24-7. So if you're up late worrying about a problem, just go to our website, go into the search engine and try to find something that's the topic that you need more information on. Okay, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about how to amend association documents. This really has become a very popular topic since the pandemic. I've been through a number of different cycles now in Arizona with the economy. And it just seems like there's up and down variables that happen over the years. And I've probably seen three or four downturns in the economy in my career now. And what we find is when there's a boom, typically there are a large number of associations that are um, amending their association documents. And then when there's a bust, when the economy starts to tank, then we see a large number of collections and the owners not paying their assessments, et cetera. And then the association has less funding to do amendments. So it is cyclical when we see associations amending their documents. Just a, a first line of defense thing I wanna mention is that associations really should be amending their corporate documents. So that would be like your CCNRs or your declaration, your bylaws and your rules, potentially your architectural guidelines, you should be thinking about amending them or updating them at least once a decade. Now, I'm pretty confident that there are a number of you on this call today who have never amended your documents for your association, or maybe you haven't amended them in the last decade. Why is it important to amend your documents once every 10 years. First, it's important to delete or modify any restrictions that are outdated or that aren't in compliance with local, federal, state laws. And you may have information in your CCNRs or your bylaws that directly contradicts what state law says. Or you may have information in your CCNRs that is not consistent with how things are really operating in your association. So maybe you have your streets are clogged with cars at night, and maybe your CCRs say no parking overnight on the streets. And so it's good to evaluate these things every decade and see if we have things in our documents that need to be changed to comply with Arizona law, and also to delete or modify provisions that are not consistent with how things are operating in your association. Lots of times associations still have all that old developer language in the documents and that really needs to be removed. Often we see conflicts within the corporate documents for your own association. Like we'll see the bylaws will say that you have to have five directors and then the CCNR say you have to have three directors. And so it's a maximum of three directors. So there's conflicts within your documents, and it's very confusing for the board as they're trying to navigate that. Probably the most overreaching reason in my mind is that state law is changing every year and your documents probably have language in there that violates state law and federal law. And it's really important that you update that so that you don't have miscommunications with your owners and so that you're following the law. Okay, so let's talk about how do we amend the documents. We have a great cheat sheet that we have given out so many of these, probably, I don't even know how many, probably 100,000 in 25 years. And this cheat sheet is called Amending Association Documents and Implementing rental Restrictions. And um, this cheat sheet has been fine-tuned for over 20 years to give you the best possible formula to amend your documents in your associations successfully. So I would encourage you to to take the deep dive and look at that cheat sheet. It has some great information on it. And I'm gonna give you a quick verbal overview of our secret recipe to our five-step plan for amending association documents. So we break it down into five different distinct steps. And so the first step is somewhat easy, but I've got to have a little caveat on it. You got to take your time on this step. So the first step is determine what is required to amend the documents. So the board of directors should look at the actual documents and they should talk with their legal counsel. The amendment section in the CCNRs and the bylaws are the sections that you're going to be looking at. Most of these documents, the CCNRs and the bylaws, are going to require approval of the membership to amend the documents. There are some very rare cases where the board can amend the bylaws without a vote of the membership. But if you are going to do that as a board and your documents or bylaws allow you to amend the bylaws without a vote of the membership, you would, under state law, need to do a notice to your members that you're planning to vote on this at an upcoming board meeting. And you would want to put in the notice of meeting or the agenda of the meeting that the owners get the actual changes that you propose to make in the bylaws so that owners have notice that you're going to be making this change to the bylaws. But that's kind of a rare instance where the board can amend the bylaws. More likely than not, like 95% of the time, you're going to need a homeowner vote to amend your documents. And you're gonna to have to look at your documents specifically to see what percentage of homeowners are required to amend the documents. Every association has different documents. So unfortunately I can't give you like a bright line rule that it's always X percentage because every association's different. And so, you know, very important that you look at the specific language of the documents to determine what specifically you need to amend the documents. Why it's important to have your attorney involved is because there are a whole bunch of, of laws and case law that pertain to amending association documents. And you want to make sure that the exact correct percentage for your association, because let's say you're a condominium and you go to your cc for your condominium and it says you only need 51% approval to amend your CC&Rs. There's a state law in the Condominium Act, Arizona Revised Statutes 33-1227A, that says that you cannot amend your CCNRs if you're a condominium unless you have 67% of the votes within the condo association. So that's a minimum that you would have to meet. So even though your CCNRs may say 51% for a condo, there's actually a state law that says no; it has to be 67% minimum Of the votes to amend the documents and the CCNRs in a condominium. So, just real important thing for step one okay, the board should go and look at the amendment sections themselves first to get a a general idea of okay, this is what we may need. Then I recommend that you talk to your legal counsel and verify that okay, this is the percentage that we need and this is the procedure that we need to follow to amend our CCNRs or our bylaws. Typically, the rules are promulgated by the board at a board meeting, so you typically don't need a vote of the membership for the rules. Uh, Some associations, in very rare instances, do need the owners to pass the amendments to the rules, but more likely than not, the board passes the amendments to the rules. So step one, what is required to amend the documents, check the documents, verify with your association's attorney? Step number two. Uh, This is the longest step in the entire process. And basically what happens in this step is that um, associations are going to come up with the changes that they want to make to the documents. And so they review the documents and they make changes and draft the proposed changes. Sometimes the board does this initially. Sometimes your legal counsel does this first. The best way to do it, in my opinion, is to put the documents, so the cc and the bylaws, into a Word document. So copy it word for word into a Word document. And then do track changes. And as you make the changes in the computer program, it's redlining any deletions and underlining any additions so that we can keep track of what's being changed. And what I really prefer as legal counsel that's worked at the associations for over 25 years is I prefer that the board just lets me do this first draft myself, because I know exactly what I'm looking for when I'm doing the changes to the CCNRs and the bylaws. And I like to get the first crack at it because it's just so much easier and it's going to cost you so much less if you let me do it first. If you do it the other way where the board comes in and they make a whole bunch of changes to the documents, sometimes I have to spend time undoing the changes that they've made. And that's just so unnecessary. It's smarter to give it to the lawyer, have them make their changes. And then we give the document to the board or the committee, whoever's handling the amendments, and then they start making their comments and changes and typically when we do it that way, it's easier for the board, It's cost less in the long run, and it's a much cleaner looking document in terms of tracking the changes. And so that's step two. So review the documents for changes and then draft the proposed changes. Step three, this is the step that the boards always want to skip. Do we really have to do this step? Yes, we do. And here's why. Step three is educating and soliciting support of the community of the proposed changes. Now, we said in step one that you are going to determine what the percentage is that you need to amend the documents. So for 95 percent of the amendments that you're going to be doing, you're going to need a high percentage of owners to approve the changes, whether it's you know 67 percent, 75 percent, 90 percent in a planning community. It could be as low as 51 percent. But that's a lot of people. And so if you're going to be sending this out for the members to vote on the changes, you don't want the first time for them to see it to be the time that they got the ballot and they're voting on it. Because if they're not happy about it, they'll just vote no. And you'll have wasted a lot of time, effort, and money coming up with the changes. So what you want to do in step three is you want to give them a preview and ask for their feedback. So in step three, we send out the proposed document that we're thinking about sending to the membership for a vote. And we ask for their opinion on it. And we give them a way to comment on it, whether it's by email or sending in a comment card. And by doing this, we're getting important market research, right? As to how people feel about the amendment. And we're also getting them involved in the process. And we're telling them that now is your time to comment. If you don't like something, let us know. And what we find is maybe 10%, 5 to 10% of the community actually takes the time to respond. But the information that we get from the owners that actually do respond is really helpful in helping us determine how we want to structure what we send out to the members. And so then we move into step four. So now we've sent out the proposed changes to the members. They've given us their feedback back. Now we're analyzing and strategizing about the feedback in step four. So step four is we're developing a plan and a reasonable time frame for obtaining approval of the proposed amendments. So in step four, we take the feedback that we got from the members and the board and the association's attorney. We'll have a short meeting and we'll talk about it. Okay, we got a lot of feedback on the rental restriction and owners aren't happy about that. And is this something that we wanna Leave out? Is it something that we want to vote on separately? So we'd have one vote on all the changes to the CCNRs, and then the controversial vote would be a separate vote on the same ballot. And so there's lots of different strategy ways to handle this. And I'm a very good person to strategize with in step four because I've been through this a lot of times with many associations. And my goal is to get you across the finish line. We come up with how we're going to structure the amendments. We may throw things out. We may separate them and vote on them on the side. We may reword them based upon the feedback. Then we come up with our game plan for the ballot. And we come up with our game plan for, are we going to have a meeting to discuss the votes? Are we going to have a bunch of coffee and donut mornings where we try to get people to vote by coming to those? We have a whole plan. Are we going to have a telephone tree? Are we going to have block captains that are going around getting votes? And we come up with our timeline for the voting and how long we're going to leave this open and then what our plan is going to be to monitor the votes as they come in and to continue to follow up with people who haven't voted, etc. So that's our plan at step four. So finalize the language that we're going to put in the amendments finalize the ballot language, and then come up with our timeline for how we're going to send out the ballot, how long we're going to leave the ballot out there to vote, and how we are going to actually get people to return their ballots to vote. Okay, the last step, assuming that we're successful in step four, and if you've come this far, having that plan is really important, following the plan. Now we're at step five, which is success, right? We've passed. Really important for everybody to know, once you get the number of votes that you need, the percentage, you only have 30 days to record that amendment to your documents. So it's very important that you are cognizant of that and counting those ballots. We do an Excel spreadsheet in our office. We typically help count the ballots for most of the associations that we do the amendments. We work with the association on the amendments with. And so we're monitoring frequently throughout the process where we are in the percentage of votes that we need. Once you get that percentage, you have 30 days to record that amendment. And it's important that it's mandatory. So when you get to the stage that you're going to be recording the amendment with the recorder's office, whatever county you live in, you want to be really careful that you do it the right way. There have been two cases decided in Arizona, one in the Court of Appeals, one in the Supreme Court of Arizona. That have talked about what's valid and what's not valid when you're doing amendments to CCNRs. So, the case that was decided last week by the Arizona Court of Appeals is a case called Mounts versus Mountain Gate. And basically, in in this association, I'm just going to give you the bottom line on it. Basically, the way that the board recorded their amendment to the CCNRs was ineffective, and they didn't do it right based upon the language of the actual amendment section in the CCNRs basically what the court did is they struck down the amendments in that case because they said that the amendment was invalid based upon an ineffective amendment process and they said that the association was prohibited from enforcing the new set of CCNRs the bottom line is is that they needed to have the amendment that they recorded with the the CCNRs, they needed to have all the owners sign off on the amendment, unfortunately. And basically, what they did is the association only had the association's vice president certify that the amendment was adopted by the lot owners that they were required to. But the actual amendment language in their CCNRs, their specific CCNRs, said that the amendment had to be executed by the percentage of owners. And that means that they would have had to sign that amendment, the actual amendment paper work before they recorded it. Again, attention to detail on these amendments. This is not something the board should be doing without legal counsel. And you need to carefully analyze every step of the process to make sure we're doing it right. The other thing that I want to mention is there was another case that was decided by the Supreme Court of Arizona in March of 2022. This is the Calway versus Calabria Ranch case. And basically, this is kind of a problematic case. I'm not going to lie to you. It's this is a problem. I don't agree with the, the decision that was rendered by uh, the court in this case. But I, I want to just make a couple comments on it. So the bottom line is that this case allows or okay, gave courts the right to Blue pencil any amendments to CCNRs, and they can eliminate things that they feel are grammatically separable or are unreasonable. And they also said that amendments to the CCNRs have to be foreseeable, and you have to give sufficient notice that the section can be amended in the future. And so, the bottom line on this case is just in, in my opinion and based upon my 25 years of experience is. Yes, the Callaway case is problematic because it's giving the court a lot of authority to strike down the amendments. But don't overcorrect based on this case, okay? The, the Calabria Ranch case had very unusual facts. They had, it basically only had five lots in the association and a couple of the owners teamed up on one of the other owners, didn't tell them about an amendment, and then passed something that harmed that owner's property values. Obviously, that was not the right way for that particular association to handle that. And it resulted in the court really cracking down on the amendment process in that case. So what our firm is telling clients is we are still doing CC and R amendments, even despite the Callaway case. We are being strategic in how we're handling the amendments. We are making sure that we have good language in the amendments so that It can't be challenged in court, and we're limiting our liability through the language. Okay, so just important to know about those two cases. The courts have stepped in and started regulating some of these amendments. They're being done by associations. Another reason why it's important to have your legal counsel look at the amendments throughout the entire five-step process that you follow to make sure that you're doing everything right. So step five, you've passed your amendment now. Your homeowners have voted for it. You've recorded it after 30 days of getting the last vote. And now the last step is just to notify your owners that the amendment has been passed and to make sure that the, your management company is, is giving new owners the correct set of CCNRs or bylaws for your association and then move forward and enforce the new set of CCNRs. A couple of important practice pointers remember, CCNRs are recorded with the quarter's office in the county that you live in. So any amendments that you have are recorded. Bylaw amendments are just placed with the association's records. They are not recorded. And they obviously you want to give a copy of any amendments to the owners and then any future owners through the disclosure process should get a copy of the correct documents. Okay, so I think, you know, we've covered basically everything that we need to cover today. We've talked about successful associations, we've talked about our five-step plan, to amend your association documents. And that really needs to be done every 10 years. We talked about the two new cases that the Court of Appeals has decided this year. One of the Court of Appeals case, one Supreme Court of Arizona case. Um, And then we've talked about the new legislation. So the five new laws that went into effect in September. So we covered a lot of material today in an hour and three minutes. And now we're going to go into our questions for today. As of right now, we have about 15 questions, so we'll just get started right on them. Okay, next question is from an owner. What recourse do unit owners have when the board signs a contract days before the special meeting to approve the contract? Okay, so it looks like owners are upset And the board signs a contract before the actual board approves the contract at a meeting. So they're getting the cart in front of the horse, so to speak. It's not proper. The board should be signing contracts or voting to sign contracts at an open board meeting. If there was an emergency circumstance, that doing it outside of a board meeting may be acceptable, but it's really not good procedure for your board to do that. And what recourse do you have? I suppose you could go to the Department of Real Estate, file a complaint against your board. You could file litigation on this, probably not something you're going to want to do just because there's probably no damages because they quickly approved it after the fact. But it's a sign to me that there might be something going on in your association if they are doing things like this in secret, absent an emergency. So I would keep an eye on your association's board for sure and make them aware that the way that they handle this needs to be changed going forward. Okay, next question is from a board member. We have a security camera inside the association's clubhouse. Since the clubhouse is a community asset reserved for board meetings, we use a camera to record board meetings. Homeowners can also reserve the clubhouse for gatherings. At the time the homeowner's using the clubhouse, are we required to turn off the camera? Our governing documents do not at this time have any specifications regarding security cameras. So I don't think in my opinion would be that there's nothing under state law that I'm aware of that would require you to turn those cameras off. It's your property. What you may want to do is just notify the owners that there is a camera and it does record things. You know, You may even want to have a sign next to the cameras stating that. You want to be careful that you don't over-promise, though, because you probably don't have a live person there watching the camera 24-7. But I don't have a problem with, with having the camera on even during private events, as long as the whoever's using the facility understands and knows that there's a camera. And it would be helpful just for notice reasons that you may want to kind of sign up. Okay, next question is for an association, a planned community. I'm not sure if it's a board member or a homeowner. Okay, our HOAs were amended in 2019. The minimum rental period day, period is 60 days for homes that change ownership after January 4th, 2019. We require an information form from each homeowner with contact information on the tenants, and we charge a $25 rental fee each time a new lease begins. We also state in writing that any homeowner who rents their home must file a residential Rental property registration form with the Maricopa County assessor, and we give them a hyperlink to the assessor's website. Do we have any responsibility beyond the alert to the renting homeowner that a registration form must be filed with the Maricopa County assessor? No, you don't have any responsibility. That responsibility is on the owner and landlord to take care of that. And it sounds like you're doing everything else correct in compliance with theirs in the law. Question number four, what is a consent agenda and how can this be used to better manage HOA board meetings? Okay, a consent agenda is it's used in city council meetings typically for municipal governments, um, but I have seen it used in HOA or condo setting as well. And so basically you just line up the things that need to be approved on the agenda and typically it's things that are not controversial and that can be quickly voted on. For example, um, your association may have on the consent agenda to approve last month's meeting minutes and maybe to approve certain financial information. And the board should have reviewed all these items before the board meeting. So it's easy for them to just vote yes when a motion's made to approve the entire consent agenda. Now, your board should not be doing the entire meeting, though, by a consent agenda, right? The things that we typically will see is maybe architectural applications. If there are non-controversial or not controversial ones, you may do a consent agenda to approve 25 architectural approvals for things that are allowable under your documents. That would be another time you could use it. If any board member doesn't want a certain item on the consent agenda, The board member can ask to have that consent agenda item moved off of the consent agenda and then voted on separately. That's something that can be done. Not a lot of associations use consent agendas, but it can be a helpful tool to get through the meeting faster. Next question, number five. A meeting was held on Saturday morning by a group of 20 to 25 homeowners. Flyers were placed on some homes inviting them to attend. A homeowner was asked to leave after the leader asked if anyone attending was on a board committee. Is this a valid meeting? Is the demands of a group sent to the board needed to be responded to since not all homeowners were allowed to attend? How would you recommend we handle? So I'm assuming that this person's a board member asking this question. And I don't know how large your association is. So I don't know if 20 to 25 homeowners is 20% of your membership or if it's 20 to 25 homeowners out of a 2,000 home association. So it's hard for me to answer this question, but okay. The bottom line is that under the new law that we talked about under um, the new legislation, owners are allowed to peacefully assemble. So they, you know, are allowed, allowed to do that. If somebody you know who's running the meeting can ask somebody to lead the meeting. And it's certainly their right. You, this is the common area. So and you you do have a right to be there, they have the right to ask somebody to leave if they want to, but that person has the right to stay there because they have an easement to use the common areas. So now the question transitions to, do we need to respond as a board to some of the demands from this meeting because they didn't let some people come or they didn't give notice everybody? And I would say, I think this goes back to secrets of successful associations. If you have 20 to 25 people who are upset about an issue, you do need to respond, even though they may not have handled the meeting exactly how we would have liked and included everybody. But I think you should at least listen and respond because that's part of our responsibility serving on the board is listening to the homeowners and what they want and responding in a professional and business-like manner. So I would respond if you have You know, 20 to 25 homeowners and your smaller association, like 100 or 200 units or lots. This raises some concern flags for me, for you as a board, that, hey, your homeowners aren't happy. And this might be a good time for a town hall meeting to air grievances and talk through issues, because the next thing that could happen would be they could start circulating a removal petition. Okay, next question. A past lack of increase in yearly HOA fees has left us in a pickle this year after large increases in most of our maintenance fees. What is the Arizona law regarding the limits we may raise the fees per year in order to prevent a loss in the value of our properties? Okay, so for this particular question, I need to see your CCNRs. Your rs are going to outline what Percentage, you can increase your dues each year if you have any special exceptions, if the budget needs to be amended and maybe you might be able to increase it a certain percentage. Or maybe you amend the budget, you can increase it. So, bottom line is you really got to look at your association's documents. There is a provision in the Planned Communities Act, but it doesn't apply to every planned community. We would use it for associations would be, let's say that there is no limit in your CC&Rs to increase uh, planned communities assessments every year. Well, there is a ceiling under the Planned Communities Act that if you're going to try to increase it more than 20% of the prior year's assessment, you'd have to get approval of the membership of 51% of the membership. I think for your case, I would look at what your documents say to determine whether or not you need a vote of the membership and what percentage that you can increase the assessments. And we definitely want to get your legal counsel involved to help you and advise you on that. Okay, next question. In general, is amending existing CCNRs more cost effective than rewriting them? It just depends. I'm really not in favor of taking a current set of CCNRs and just trashing them. And starting completely over because that change sometimes is too hard for the membership to swallow. It's hard to get votes to pass it. And there's exceptions to that, of course. If you have a really bad document to begin with, you, know, you might be just redlining the whole thing and, and starting over. But I do think that change is hard for members and getting them to approve changes is difficult. And so, Taking the existing document and making changes to make it in compliance with Arizona law and fresh and easy to read and getting rid of the developer language typically is a better strategy to get the votes. Okay, the HOA I'm part of does not communicate anything, if at all, and started funding a reserve fund, a reserve account a couple of years ago. What is the maximum amount that can be saved in this reserve account? Okay, so a good sign is that your association has a reserve, they're planning for their reserves, which are the long-term capital expenditures for the future. I'm not aware of any maximum amount. There's no cap under state law or anything like that. And so I think maybe what you need to do is go to a board meeting and ask a little bit about, tell me about how we're funding the reserve and have you had a reserve study done by a reserve company? And you may want to look at our cheat sheet. We have a cheat sheet on reserve studies and reserve funds. That's on our website at lkehelawfirm.com. And that might give you some good background information on how a reserve fund works and how a reserve study works to better answer your question. Okay, next question, number nine. If the association has a happy hour for the community, would you have to post that a majority of the board members will be present? If the majority of the board is there discussing association business, yes. If a majority of the board is there socializing and not quorum of the board discussing association business or conducting a meeting during the happy hour, then no. You might want to be careful if this is a happy hour, I hate to be a buzzkill, but you got to be careful on alcohol and the association sponsoring an event where there's alcohol. There may be some insurance issues with that and some liability issues with that. Okay, next question. Number 10, we need a records retention rule or a policy. Is there an example available? Yes, I have a cheat sheet on this exact topic. So go to our website at mulcahylawfirm.com and click on our cheat sheet section, go to the records retention policy cheat sheet, and everything you need will be right there. Okay. uh, Number 11, what do you do when you have various committees and the committee members do not get along and literally fight among each other? Okay. What I typically will do, it depends on what committee it is, but if it's an important committee like budget, architectural, finance, we typically will have the attorney for the association come in and talk to the committee and explain that we're all on the committee for the same reason. We want what's best for the community. We may not all agree on what's best for the community, but we need to respect each other's opinions and we need to respect that majority rules and try to have a boot camp to get them pointed in the right direction. Now, sometimes you have different personalities and they just don't jive well together. So check out our cheat sheet on the DISC personality tests and how that can be helpful for your association to function at a higher level. We have that on our website. It's the D-I-S as in SAM C. It's basically just a test. And if we do a boot camp, it's the first thing I do with the group is we all take a personality test because if there's fighting or a level of dysfunction on the board, oftentimes it's because the personalities don't jive well together. And so taking that test and better understanding what the different personality types are may right then and there help people get along better. And... If you ultimately can't get along better over time, then it might be a time to change out some members of the committee and put together a team that's going to work well together. Now, anybody who's had any sort of business or teams training, team building training, you know that in order to have an effective team, you need all different types of personalities. Like there's the D personality type where they want the answer fast and they don't want me sitting there giving some flowery explanation and long explanation would be like torture for them. But then there's other personality types like the C personality type where they want that detail. And if I short them on the detail, they're going to be upset. So I'm trying to balance in the room what my audience is. And it's the same thing for when you have a committee that's not working well together. Maybe you have too many of one personality type, or maybe you have the clashing personality types that don't work well together sometimes. And when you have that clashing personality types on any team or any committee, just having everybody go in their corners and understanding, okay, this person wants to make a decision a little faster. This person needs all the information. How can we work together so that we meet the needs of both committee members? And so maybe the person that wants to make the decisions really fast, maybe they need to give 10 minutes to discuss things and maybe the person that needs to overanalyze and watch the paint dry, maybe we say to them, you're not going to get an hour to discuss this. We got everybody's got to come together in the 10 minute time frame to get our questions answered and to resolve issues. Um, so hopefully that will help you. Um, ultimately the boot camp using the personality testing, having your attorney come in and talk to the committee, and then ultimately restructuring the committee if it's just not working with the current people. Okay, next question. The bylaws state that there can be no less than three directors, nor more than nine directors. The President quit. The VP is still operating as the Vice President and is running meetings, and there is one member at large on the board. VP states that they are going to operate with just the two of them and have voted on matters. Is this legal? Okay, so let's look at, you can have no less than three directors. Right now, you have two. So my feeling is that you really should try to get up to three, okay, because the minimum, the by law minimum number of directors is three. But that being said, with a three-person board, typically a quorum is two. And so the decisions that have been made by just the two of them likely are legal because that was a quorum of the board. But if I were advising this association, I would recommend that you seek candidates to fill that third spot. Typically, the bylaws will give the remaining directors the ability to appoint a replacement director or the president who resigned for that president's, you know, not for the president position, but for the director at large position that the president also carried. I would encourage you to try to get somebody to fill that spot so that you can meet that requirement of having three directors. Okay, next question number 13. Since the current rule says that you need 67% to amend the CCNRs, Rs, and the rule said in the current CCNRs says 85% is needed. Does that rule have to be followed? Or 67% rule should that be followed? Whatever your current CCNRs say. If it says 80%, 85%, I'd have to look at your documents to give you a formal opinion. But I think the CCNRs are going to control here in terms of amending. CCNRs is just going to take 85%. The only thing I'm going to say is I've been doing this a long time, 26 years. I don't think I've ever seen a set of CCNRs that say 85%. So that's weird. I've seen 67%, I've seen 90 75%. So that kind of worries me a little bit. But go by what the CCNRs say. If you're relying on the 67% from the Condominium Act, that only kicks in if your association has a lower than 67 your condo association has a lower than 67% amendment requirement in the CCNRs. In that case, you've got to rely on what state law says, which pushes you up to you have to get 67% approval to amend the CCNRs in that condo. But it doesn't flip the other way. So it doesn't flip if your CC&Rs say higher than 67%. Oh, we can take advantage of the 67% in the Condo Act. No, you can't do that. You have to follow what the CCNRs say. Okay, last two questions. I have been trying to communicate with HOA managers since 2018. Finally, I just had an executive meeting only for myself and the board. The board was unable to speak to me because I had a lawyer write a letter to obtain their attention. I was able to express my concerns. No response has been received. We only have a visitor parking that was created in 2020, but no resident parking or handicapped parking available. Third party monitoring has been inconsistent and causing residents to be upset. Towing only certain vehicles received warnings. I suggested amending our CCRs to the HOA attorney that was present at the executive meeting. Maybe providing parking permits that we can pay and it would bring in revenue, but there's been no word from the board or the attorney. We have a four bedroom home, two car garage, home at the end of a shared driveway, and I have four drivers now in our home. How do I get someone to communicate with me? Okay, well, the good thing is that you want to communicate and you want to work this out with the board, and it looks like you hired an attorney, and I think Probably since the board won't respond to you anymore because you have an attorney, I think you need to have your attorney communicate with the board and the board's attorney to try to resolve this. I don't know if you have, it says you have a two-car garage, so make sure that garage is cleared out of the tool shed and everything in there. You should be parking two cars in there. And then hopefully you can park two cars in your driveway if you're allowed to do that, but it looks like you have a shared driving maybe with another neighbor. So that could be the problem. I find that a way to resolve these issues is typically through communication. And unfortunately, or fortunately, they won't talk to you now that you have an attorney. So you're going to have to work through the attorneys or tell them that your attorney is no longer being retained to have this matter. And you just want to talk one-on-one with them and see if that might work. Okay, question number 15. One more question popped in, so we have two left. If the homeowners agree to remove a property asset, like a tennis court, by the CCNR requirements, do all lenders on all the properties need to approve? Or is it just a percentage of lenders or no lender approval? You're going to have to look at the CCNRs for your association. Every association has a different set of CCNRs that reflect change of common area use. So typically, you just need approval of the members. In some cases, the board can even do it. The language supports that in the CCNRs. So, I don't think I've ever seen lenders being required to give approval unless it's like a major common area, like you're going to change the use and like sell it or something. I don't know. Look at your CCNRs. I think that's the best bet to determine what approval you need for your community. The last question for today, is it legal in Arizona to take from the reserves to cover a shortage in funds for regular maintenance costs, given the large increase in costs over this past year? So is it legal? There's nothing under Arizona law, Arizona statutes that says you cannot do this. But you really need to talk with your CPA because there are some financial issues here. And most CPAs, in my experience, what they say is that if you borrow from the reserves, you have to pay back the reserves. So you'll want to talk to your CPA about that. Also, you'll want to check your cc to see if there's anything specific that would say that you can't borrow from your reserve to pay maintenance expenses that may have increased over the past year that you didn't budget for Okay, so we just finished um, right on time. We had about an hour and three minutes of our presentation today. We had a lot of good topics that we talked about today. And then we spent about 25 minutes talking about the questions. We had 16 questions from uh, really a wide variety of homeowners and board members and managers. So a couple of things to think about. We're in Holiday Alley, so to speak. So I cannot believe that it's Thanksgiving next week. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hope you have a wonderful time with your family and friends. And of course, I'm so thankful to the different cities that we work with to put on this virtual neighborhood services, HOA Academy. Thanks for partnering with us this year. We really enjoy the opportunity to provide these free classes for residents of many different cities in the Valley. A few things to think about as we start to close out 2022, Our last neighborhood services presentation for 2022 is going to be on Friday, December 2nd at 9 o'clock a.m. So we're having a little change up on the date. Normally, we meet the third Tuesday of every month and we meet at 11 a.m. But in December, due to the holiday, we are going to have our neighborhood services virtual HOA condo academy, our December class, the first Friday of the month. And this class is going to be only question and answers. So bring your questions big and small. We will answer them all. So we really encourage you to participate by submitting questions. We'll answer every legal question pertaining to associations on Friday, December 2nd, starting at 9 a.m. And we'll keep going until we finish. And so it's for those of you who may be familiar, we're combining our neighborhood services virtual HOA condo academy. For the month of December with our first Friday virtual free call-in. So if you want more information on that, you can go to our website at MulcahyLawFirm.com and click on our upcoming seminars or upcoming classes. And we, you can submit questions right there. And you can continue to submit questions right up to December 2nd at 8.45 AM. So as you think of questions throughout the month, um, submit them there. And if you can't join us live at that time, as always, you can go to our Facebook Live, our Facebook page for our firm, and you can see the videos there. And and we also post the Neighborhood Services classes always on our website. Speaking of that, our videos for our classes that we've been teaching over the past two years have now passed 60,000 views. So those are a great resource for everybody as you have questions on different topics. And if you want to go back and re-listen to something that I've said they're all posted on our website, so you can look at them anytime. Okay, one final parting point before we sign off for today. We talked today about amending CCNRs, and I just wanted to offer between now and December thirty first, our firm is offering a free review, fifteen minute free review of your CCNRs and/or bylaws for your association. So if you're thinking about amending your CCNRs, we will spend fifteen minutes for free reviewing them and give you feedback as to how to amend them and some things that we think you might need to change. So that's a good little free thing that we're offering to our clients and to anybody who may want to become a potential client of our firm. All you need to do is email me with your request and your CCRs and your bylaws as an attachment to the email. And then give us about two to three weeks to do that. And then we'll get it back to you so that you can take a look at that and maybe put that on your agenda for 2023. So thanks again, everybody, for being here today. Appreciate you being here very much. And I hope all of you have a very happy Thanksgiving and safe Thanksgiving. And I will look forward to seeing you again on Friday, December 2nd at 9 o'clock AM for our last class of 2022. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Don't forget, our free cheat sheets are available for download at mokahilawfirm.com. Please go to iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a rating and a review.